We've been in this series through the resurrection season called My Story. And so we've been teaching through Matthew 26, 27, and, verse, and chapter 28. And, and this is the passion story. So we said we find ourselves in this story, this powerful story of the gospel, of everything from the betrayal of Christ through the resurrection. We find ourselves in the middle of all of this. And so the early churches, they found themselves very much like us. They had this Easter acclamation that they would say on this day, on Resurrection Sunday. And they would say to each other, when they would greet each other, Christ is risen. And then the response to that was, he is risen indeed. You would say, Christ is risen. And the response to that would always be, he is risen indeed. So let's try that for a moment, okay? So here it is. Get ready. Christ is risen and... Very good. You got that down, right? So turn to the person next to you and say good morning to them, if you don't mind, real quick. Say good morning to them, and then say to them, Christ is risen. Respond, he is risen indeed. Do that for a moment with each other. Yes. Hey, it's okay to talk in church. It's fine, right? Yes. As long as it's not while I'm preaching. Correct? Yes. Yes. I think it's so powerful that we come together today for this moment of celebrating the resurrection. But, but I have a question for you before we begin. You just said that Christ is risen, and then the response was, he's risen indeed, okay? But do you believe that? You say, Mark, I'm here, right? You know, I'm here, I'm watching online, so you're asking, asking us a very strange question, do you really believe that? Because I think it's, I think it's one thing to celebrate this time, and I, I think, and, and that's good, and this, this teaching this morning is, is nowhere to devalue our celebration of that of the resurrection season. It's not. But I think it's one thing to celebrate. I think it's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing for us to have a lot of knowledge about the resurrection. But I think it's also a whole different thing for us to live in the reality of the resurrection. That's a, that's a different approach to life. I really it is. And I think some of you came here this morning because you're looking for a different approach to life. You're watching online day because you're looking for a different approach to life. And so this is it, that, that the resurrection changes everything about the way we live. So do you live life in the reality of the truth of the resurrection? So here's my thought. Either this is truth or this is fake news. You say, Mark, you stole the term fake news from the headlines. No, can I tell you what? That it was actually stolen from Scripture. You say, Mark, no, it's not. Yes, it absolutely is. Because what we find in the gospel over all the Gospels, we find a lot of fake news. And what we're going to find here is one of them. And, and so what I realize is that, oh, there is a story here. How do we find ourselves in the story? It's Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. And we read together now after the Sabbath. Toward the day of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who is Mary, the mother of James, went to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled, and they became like dead men, because the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, they proclaim, for he is risen, as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. 
And they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell your brothers to go to Galilee. Because if you remember our teachings prior to this, that Jesus had told them prior to his death that he would meet them or go before them to Galilee. So he is saying, Do what I told you to do, and there they will see me. What a story. It's a story that never gets old. It's a story that I think never loses its lackluster for our lives and our power. It is That these women go to the temple on the day that Jesus says he's going to rise from the dead. They do. And the angel says to them, come and see. It's a powerful invitation. And I think sometimes when we read this, we think, hey, this is just an invitation for those women that are at the tomb that day. But it's a powerful invitation for all of us in this room. It's a powerful invitation for those of you that are watching from church at home this morning. It's a powerful invitation for us to become part of this story. It's an invitation for us to not just read through the words today. Not just to say that, you know, while we we went to church, we heard the resurrection story. But it's a part or an invitation for you and I to experience this within our lives. Because that's what this is. It is not just information for us. But it's a powerful experience that changes everything about our lives. It's an invitation. And we find this throughout the Gospels. And I think this is a powerful thought. That throughout the Gospels, what we find... Jesus saying and others saying they're inviting us to understand that Jesus is inviting us to investigate. Jesus is inviting us to search through the gospel. There's no time in the gospel where you're going to find where it's just, hey, if you don't believe right now, then sorry, it's over. And that was, you know, your moment. to No, it's about searching and understanding God and his character and his nature to understand who Christ is in the resurrection and the crucifixion. So this is a moment for you to search is what this is. For some of you, you're skeptical. Yeah, you're skeptical, so you're searching for truth. Oh, for some of you, you're convinced. But today, because of a troubling moment in your life, that you are, you are really searching for hope from God and through the resurrection this morning. For some of you, you think, oh, this story is just way too good, right? That, that a good man would die for so many people that are guilty. And then on the third day, this good man he rises from the dead, raises from the dead for those same very guilty people. So it almost seems too good to be true. For some of you, you're just sitting here wondering, what is the meaning of the resurrection? What does this really mean for me personally today? Other than I believe it was true. But what does this mean for me within my life? And so the women, they run back to the disciples. And I love this because the story is so powerfully real. And they tell the disciples what the angel has said to them. They tell the disciples that they had seen Jesus. And what do the disciples do? They respond with fear. Isn't that great? Yes. These are the guys that have been walking with Christ. These are the guys that have been hanging out and hearing his teachings for, for all these years. And now they respond with this news and fear. I love it because it brings reality to the story. And for some of you, maybe that's where you are. And so they're, 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 they're huddled in a room in fear of being hunted down by the religious leaders of the day. And so when you read, even like the book of Luke, when you read the gospel of Luke and they come to the disciples, they're in fear. And here's what the, the women say to the disciples. Come and see for yourself. Can I tell you, in the middle of the struggle of your life, where you are in that moment of doubt today, in, in that moment of, of, of wondering where God is in your life and why am I experiencing the things that I'm experiencing within my life? Can I tell you, there's an invitation to you today to come and see for yourself the resurrection, to under, understand for yourself the power of God in your life. Look at verse 11. 
He says this, our story continues. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. Can you imagine the conversation? The guards go to the chief priest and say, hey, you won't believe what we saw, right? We saw this angel. He was so bright. And he rolls away the stone. And then he sits on the stone. That's amazing, right? It's like, hey, no, no big deal for me, right? The tomb is empty. All of a sudden, that we just sort of go dead. We, we just kind of lose consciousness of everything that's going on there. I can imagine the conversation. And when they had assembled the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Take, tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Can I tell you, that's a big lie is what that is. What is the punishment from a Roman soldier who falls asleep on guard duty? Can I tell you what it is? It is death. It is death. So there's no way to get them out of this lie. No way. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So it's a decision for us, I think, today. Are we believing the story of Mary and Mary, the mother of James? Is that where we are? Are we believing that today? Or are we somehow buying into this fake news of the priests and the elders? You say, Mark, come on. You know, I believe in the resurrection. But yet, are you living in light of the resurrection? Do you know what that means for you this morning as a Christ follower? Or maybe you're not following Christ and you're wondering about what all of this has to do for you. And can I tell you what this does? This is about your heart. More than your mind. More than just you hearing the words that are spoken this morning, cataloging them in with all the other data that you have in your mind. But this is truly about your heart today. It's about what God is speaking to your heart. I thought about the disciples, right? They, that, that, you know, they stole Jesus' body. And, and really, is that the best story that you can come up with? Yes, because if you're going to make up a story, you've got to gain something from the story, Right? If you're going to make up a lie, you've got to gain something from the lie. So to clear the air and kind of let us know who's all in the room this morning. Okay, here's a question for you. Here it is. I know you hate this, but you've got to love me, right? Here's the question. How many of you have ever lied to your parents? Raise your hand if you ever lied to your parents. Good. Keep your hand up. There are parents in here looking for kids right now. Yes. Drag them to the altar at the end. We're going to have staff and we can pray for them. Little liars, right? Yes, absolutely. I know. We've done that. Yes, yes, we have. So what they're saying is that the, the disciples are going to create this lie. But if you create a lie, you're going to get something from the lie, right? You're either going to, you know, for them, what are they going to gain? They're going to gain some kind of Maybe popularity, they're going to gain some monetary things. What are they, they're going to gain a following or political power. But can I tell you, they don't gain any of that. They don't gain any of that at all by simply proclaiming that Jesus rose from the dead. They don't, they don't gain any of that. In fact, if you look at history, they're hunted down is what they did. That's what happens to them. They're imprisoned. They're tortured. They're exiled to islands. That's what happens to the disciples. Many of them die a martyr's death. They're impaled. They're crucified. They're tied between horses and they're torn down the very middle of their body. No, they're boiled in hot liquid. That's simply the... Listen, if you're going to tell a lie, it's to get you out of the boiling liquid, right? Isn't that true? Why would you create a lie that would get you there? 
You're not a good liar, correct? Yes, that's exactly what it would mean. I, I, I looked at it and I thought, no, you have to remove that notion. It just doesn't make sense. I think we can eliminate that from the list this morning. Because it's just not logical for them to ever do that. So the reality is we have to deal with the reality of a risen Savior. That's it. You have to deal with the reality of a risen Savior. So suppose there was no resurrection. Just just for a moment, let's go there together, okay? Suppose there was no resurrection. What if the cross is all we have, that the crucifixion is it, that the cross is empty, but yet the, or the cross is empty, but the tomb is occupied today? Then here's what that means for you and I, that every year we take a pilgrimage to his graveside, and you and I say some prayers there. We leave some flowers or we leave some gift there to show homage to him. And then we leave very empty with nothing to take with us. And can I tell you, would that be enough for you? I can tell you honestly, that would not be enough for me. And yet there are a lot of people in this world with their religion that that's all they have. Is a grave that is occupied that they go to every year or every so whatever holiday or celebration. And can I tell you, that's not enough. Would the cross be enough? So, Mark, what's, so, what's such a big deal about the resurrection then? Oh, can I tell you? Here is the thought. It's, it's back in the book of Matthew, chapter 27. It's the words of Pilate to you and I. In Matthew 27 and 64, here's what Pilate says about the resurrection. Therefore, he says, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Least his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead. Look what he says. The last fraud will be worse than the first. And so here's what he says. Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. Jesus' claim to be the King of the Jews. Jesus' claim to be the Savior of all humankind. Listen, to be the Son of God, that's got us, that's got us in trouble enough. But if you have people begin to believe that somehow he kept his word and the grave could not keep him, if you have people begin to believe that he simply put death to rest, if you have people to believe that he could overcome death itself, when you have people begin to believe in a resurrection, it changes everything. Changes everything. No wonder Pilate was so afraid of this. No wonder that the chief priests and the elders were so afraid of the resurrection of Christ because it changes everything. It does. Second, second, our first Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this to you and I. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. What is he saying? If I'm saying that I'm discounting the, the resurrection, I'm discounting God is what he's saying. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. I underline that part. 
Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied, is what he says. He says, you're still in your sins. That's a big deal. Now, I, I don't know how you see that, but that's a huge deal for all of us in this room. Hey, can I, can I give you a theological point of clarity for a moment when it comes to the resurrection? Because to understand the resurrection, we have to make this a, a real understanding in our own hearts and our lives. Whether you had the resurrection or whether there is no resurrection, you're still sinful humans. Did you know that? I want you to realize that. In fact, we've already established that you're a room full of liars. Isn't that correct? Yes. He said, Mark, you can't do that on Easter Sunday morning, but we've established that. So whether you have the resurrection or not, that we are sinful human beings, we possess the propensity to sin. We lean into sin within our lives. But because of the cross, that we still sin, but sin no longer has control of our lives. That sin no longer has control of our lives. So here's the thought. The cross covers our transgressions. That's what the cross does. The cross covers our transgressions. The resurrection means that God no longer holds them against us. The cross covers our transgressions, but the cross means, or the, the, the resurrection means that God no longer holds our sins against us. And that is a big deal because without the resurrection, the cross would be a great love story. It would be a wonderful story for you and I to tell to our children and maybe our grandchildren. It would inspire us to be better people. It would inspire us to be more moral people. But without the resurrection, that's all we would be, would just be good moral people. It is that Paul says that if, you're, if without the resurrection, all you have is this life and there's no hope outside of this life. So my hope in that of God accepting me at some point in the future would be how nice I am and how kind I am and how loving and giving I am in life. And everything is based upon that. And some of you can think about your week. Some of you can think about yesterday. Some of you can give a thought about this morning before you got here and you said some things that were unkind. You had some thoughts that were hateful. You have some unforgiveness in your life right now. Yes. And what he's saying is this, that this, our faith is not simply dependent on our faithfulness, but our faith is dependent upon God's faithfulness. That's the resurrection. That's the purpose of the resurrection in your life and in my life. That makes it real for you and I. So I come back and I ask the question again for you today. Even though you believe in the resurrection, maybe this morning, and maybe some of you don't, and I understand that, and you're searching, and that's a great place to be, you're searching but even if you believe in the resurrection day, but you're not living in the light of the resurrection. Then you're missing something. You're missing something in your heart and you're missing something with, within your life today. Because the resurrection says that God no longer keeps score. So that means that some of you are working for things that have already been given to you freely by God. You're trying to be accepted by God when God has already accepted you as to who you are. He meets you right where you are within your life. Yes. And you find yourself every day living in the shadow of that, of the fake news that the scribes and, and the leaders of the temple came up with and convinced the soldiers 
at the risk of their very own life to tell others. But can I tell you, I don't have all the details about the resurrection. I can't answer all the things about it. But I do know this, that it takes some faith to believe in the resurrection. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Because are you just living in the knowledge of it? Or are you living in the reality of it? Let me read some more to you from the book of John. Synoptic gospel concerning that of the resurrection. John chapter 20. So Peter went out with the other disciples and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there. But he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came. And I think Simon Peter came like catching his breath. You know, he's running after John. John's like just making this sprint toward the tomb. And there's Peter. And he says, dude, hang on. You're older than I am. You're younger than I am. You got to give me a little moment to get here, right? And I've been thinking about being going back and fishing, but you got to give me a minute to catch my breath. And so Simon Peter came and he followed him in and he went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there and, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with a linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. And the other disciple, who was John, who had reached the tomb first, who Paul or Peter had pushed out of the way evidently, also went in and he saw and believed. But look at verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, but they believed that he had rose from the dead. Genuine faith. Here's the thought as we tie all this together this morning. That genuine faith is based on some Level of limited understanding. It is. I think we have to, to start there with the resurrection. Because I don't have all the answers for you. I don't. But it starts with faith in our lives. So I think the question is this. This is a powerful question for you and I this morning. And that is, do you need faith to embrace the resurrection? Do you need faith... To embrace the resurrection. I think it's a huge question. I think it's a question that's worth really pondering for a moment together today. As we have this discussion. And we bring all this in. Because here's the thing. There are boundaries to our faith. There's unfamiliarity. Hey, an empty tomb is not familiar to them. It's really not, right? It's not every day that you're a disciple when you're hanging out in an empty tomb where your Lord was buried. So it's unfamiliar space for them. Grief, they're dealing with grief. And here's Peter, he's dealing with guilt and grief. Man, that's like a double hit for him in his life. Now, fear, why do we fear things? Because we can't, we can't control them. Some of you are there this morning that you can't control things in your life right now and you're living in fear. It's doubt. Maybe these rumors are true. We didn't take Jesus, but maybe someone else took Jesus. And maybe there's truth to what is being said. But it comes down to this openness, this, recept- this receptive- receiving of God that, that we receive this truth about God, this receptive. I can't say this word right now, okay? It just won't come out. You don't know if you ever have those moments, right? They just think, oh, I know what that is. Receptivity. That's the word, receptivity. That's it. I'll say it again. Receptivity. I said it. Yeah. That's awesome, right? Woo! Thank you. Woo! Not only today, Resurrection Day, but he said the word. Yes, that's it. Yes. Disciples, they, they open their hearts when their minds are yet to understand all the details. Why? Because faith, what faith does, that faith would simply for you and I, it would, 
It would ascend our, our thought process. Faith transcends our intellectual ascent in life. Well, I want all the details. Can I tell you, I'm a detail guy, right? I don't know if you're a detail person or not, but I want the details. I only like surprises two times a year. Christmas my birthday. Don't surprise me any other time. So I, I, want, I want some details about what's going on. Faith runs against the grain of that. It, it really does. Why? Why does faith run against the grain of just you and I knowing everything about what, what is going on? Because God designed it that way because God wants more than our mind. God wants our hearts. Why does God want my heart? It's a good question. God wants my heart because my heart is the seat of my emotion. The heart, my heart is that uh, uh, the seat of the motives of my life. It, it was what it is. The, the, my heart, listen, before my before my mind can set a direction for my life, my heart sets a motive for my life. And that's what God wants. That God wants not just our mind, but God wants our heart. So that then the faith to believe in the resurrection is not something that you dig up inside of yourself. That you open your heart to God this morning. You say, Mark, what does that mean? That's some like Christian you know, lingo that I don't quite understand. What does that mean? That you simply take a part of this story and you open your heart to that. Yeah, take a part of the story. And not, not all of it, but take a part of the story and open your heart to it. Maybe you open your heart to the disciples because you've been doubting a lot, right? So you open your heart to them and you've made some promise. You're a promise breaker also. So maybe you, you connect with that. Maybe, maybe the part of your story, the story that you connect with this morning is the angel, you know, sitting on the stone. Man, that's like me, right? That's, that's it. I mean, if I'm going to be in this story, that's the guy I want to be. All right? So that's, that's who I am. So you take a part of the story and you connect with it. So some years ago, in preaching and teaching through all of these and reading these as a kid, I connected with part of the story of John. And I connect more now as I've gotten older. I do. I connect with the grave clothes. You say, Mark, that's weird. That is really strange. I know. I confess. I like to think of myself as unique, not weird. Okay? Right? And so uh, I connect with the grave clothes. Why? And here's why. And, and I'll just share this with you. Because that's the kind of way I'm wired. I'm wired in that systematic way. I'm linear thinking. And, and I like steps to things. And, and I like things to be in order. Anybody out there like me? Anybody? Nobody? Oh, there's a few of you, yes. Okay, so you have no idea what I'm talking about because you think that's of the devil, right? Yes, I know, yes. Yes, she's going to live for the moment. And so that's fine. If It takes both of us to make the world run. I understand that. So here's, here's my thought. Every morning, and, and it's wonderful that Reba and I are wired similar. It's, it's, isn't that wonderful? Yes. Married 42 years? Yeah, that's the reason, I guess, right? And so, so every morning when we get up, we, we make the bed regardless. I mean, we don't leave the house with an unmade bed. That's just our thing, right? And not shaming you for all you, um, you know, people that leave your beds unmade. That's, that's perfectly fine. That's, that's fine. But we do this. That's kind of what we do. Every morning when I leave the house, I go through the kitchen and I empty the coffee pot. I wash it out. I take out all the grounds. I throw them in the trash. I line up all the bar stools in front of the bar in a very linear line. I do all of that. I make sure there's no dishes in the sink. You say, Mark, you need counseling. I know. I've been told that before. I have. Yes. I, yeah. It's just me, you know, kind of deal. And so I, I, I thought about that, that, you know, 
even the making of the bed thing, because if somebody ever broke into our house during church, and they did one time, right, in Michigan when we lived there, if somebody ever broke into our house and we're in church, at least they're going to find our beds made, you know, and that's good. That makes us feel really good about the whole deal. It, it really does. If Reba and I were in that scene in Home Alone, you know, where they wake up and the clocks didn't go off because the electricity went off in the middle of the night, and they're late to get to the airport to go their flight to Europe, and they just run out of the house and leave it. If we were in that scene, we would stop everybody and make all the beds before we left. We really would. Here's my thought. Before Jesus, in all the, all the midst of all the things that have gone on, before Jesus leaves the tomb empty, I love this, he makes the bed. No, he does. I don't, know, I don't know what theology book you might try to substantiate that statement in. Go ahead and give it a shot. Send me a text. Let me know or an email. Okay, I'd love to hear it. But he makes the bed. What does he do? He leaves the wrapping, the body wrappings, in the exact, in the exact shape of his body. He doesn't tear through them. He passes through them. What does he do with the veil that had covered his face? John says this, he folds it up and he lays it over on the side of the tomb. Jesus is a bed maker. I love that, right? Yes, isn't that wonderful? I connect with that so that when my heart is open to that part of the story, I may not have to have the rest of the story. I may not understand how that all happened, but I open my heart to that one fact and when I do that, it's a gift of God to be, believe in the resurrection. And when I believe in the resurrection with my heart, not just my mind, it changes everything about me because I know then at that point that God no longer holds my sins against me, that I don't have to get up every day and work for something that God has already given me freely, and that is his acceptance. Wow. Mark, you're getting excited. I know I'm getting excited. Listen, up in my office is a coat. This is Easter Sunday morning. I was going to put a coat on. I got so excited both services, I forgot the coat again. I did. It's still up there. Reba said a while ago, you didn't put the coat on again. I know. I'm just excited. Yes. That I may not understand how all of this happened. But what I do understand is I connect with this part of the story. And here's the thing I leave with you before we share with you a, a story video this morning. Is, is this that when Jesus confronts Mary as she's going back to those really brave disciples, you know, as, as he does that, that he says to her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mary. And, and I thought, why does he do this? Of all the things he could say to her, because he addresses her emotion and the heart is the seat of our emotion. Because with Christ, it's always not, a, it's not been about how much knowledge we acquire. And I, and I know knowledge is important, but yet the reality, the experience of the heart with him, there's always been about the changing of our hearts. Not just us being kinder, nicer people in the world, but our hearts being transformed. So he speaks to her heart. Why? Because our heart is the seeker portion of us. It's the part that seeks God. It's the part in which we open up and search for understanding of him in our life. My friend Stan, who you'll see on the video in just a moment, I quote him as his journey to God. He said the overwhelming question that he always had was, is there a, a living God? 
And where is he now? Is there a living God? And where is he now? Maybe that's your question today. So take a moment and watch the screen and watch Stan's story. My name is Stan or Stanley Tussman. I was born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I was raised in an Orthodox household. I grew up in a diverse but Catholic area and there was a great deal of anti-Semitism. Basically, I was labeled as a Christ killer. That's the way they were taught. So it was a constant battle. When I was 13, it was after my bar mitzvah, so I became a man uh, in Jewish tradition. It was uh, Yom Kippur, the uh, Holy Day of Atonement. And I went to Shul, the temple, to pray. Because that's what you do. You are rather isolated, and all you're supposed to do is think about God. And I was devoted to doing that. So I went to the temple, and I went to sit down in the temple. Uh, the cantor asked me not to sit in the seat that I chose. I asked him why. He explained to me that people made a contribution, and they had their customer receipts. So I asked the cantor, you mean I have to buy a seat in the house of God? My father, you know, was a cab driver. He did not make a lot of money. He did not make a contribution that year. And so we did not buy the seat. So at that point in time, I had to take off my talus, the prayer shawl, the tefillin, the little prayer boxes that we have on our forehead and our arm, took off my yarmulke. I laid it on the pew. I got up and I walked out. I have not walked back into a Orthodox synagogue since. After that event, there was some friction, especially with my dad. So I moved out at age 15, moved down to the corner, and I still came home every weekend. I still did the, our prayers together with my father, uh, but I was not single part of the household. Uh, and I stayed there until I was about 18 years old. I got a draft notice. After basic training, and ops training, they sent me to Vietnam. And when I was there, I saw a lot of terrible things. And that really shattered my belief that there is a living God. I knew there's a God, but how could he let that happen? I just really struggled with, where is he now? Got out of the service and came back to the United States after five, five and a half years. I was married twice. My first wife passed away. My second wife couldn't handle my sick child. So we got divorced. So I came to Chicago area with two children. And my youngest one had leukemia. And then I met my wife, my current wife. And she started talking about God. I had a strong belief in God. I just did not have any personal relationship with a living God, especially with my experiences from overseas and all the other Mishikas that I've gone through. Uh, so we sat there and we talked for a couple hours, and she was not shoving Jesus down my throat 
which has been my previous experience. I really wasn't interested in Jesus Christ. I know there's a Messiah. I studied the Torah. I read the rest of the Old Testament. I had a good working knowledge of the Bible. And I knew that my Messiah is somewhere. He's going to come back and he's going to be my conquering king. But I don't know where he was at the time. She was going to church. I went to church with her. But because she married a non-believer, the elder-run church asked her to stop going to the classes that she was attending. The pastor, who was a marvelous individual, apologized, said, I'm sorry, it's elder-led church. Nothing I can do about this. But let me introduce you to this guy, uh, Lenny Kahn, who was a Messianic Jew. And for the next six months, he was showing me Yeshua HaMashiach, which is Jesus Christ the Messiah, but from a very Jewish perspective. All the prophecies, all of the things, and my one of my burning questions ever since I was a child was how could God abandon his people, his chosen people, for 2,000 years? The temple is destroyed. We cannot make a sacrifice. The only way to redeem our sins is through a blood sacrifice. We can't sacrifice, so we're going through the motions, but it wasn't real. It, it was like I'm acting it out, but it's, my sins are still there because I can't make a sacrifice. Lanny went through all the biblical things and showed me my conquering king, my Messiah, really did conquer. He was, Jesus Christ is the conquering king. He conquered sin. I no longer had to make a sacrifice at the temple. I didn't need a temple. I now had the temple in me as Jesus became a resident and his whole spirit in me. He's going to come back now as the conquering king of the empires. And I'm ready. Whenever he's ready, I'm ready. I you know, refer to myself as a fulfilled Jew. I am a Jew. I am a completed Jew. I found my Messiah. So this question from Stan, this question keeps resounding in my head and my heart. Where is he now? Where is he now? And later on, when you have some moments of quietness and solitude, read the rest of chapter 28 of the Gospel of Matthew, and you will know. It's powerful what it says. First, it says that we are to simply go. He calls us to go. And then he says that we are to tell. That this story doesn't terminate on itself. That's important. This story, but I think even more important, this this story doesn't terminate on you and I. It's not just our story as we bring these three weeks together. That There's more than just being our story, but it's the person next to you. It's their story. It's the person that you work with. It's the person that you're going to confront at lunch today. It's the person, the people that you're going to go home with. You're going to drive in the car. It's the individual that you're going to pass in the grocery store this week or wherever you find yourself. It's their story. We go and we tell and we prepare the way. That's what it says. He says, we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what the rest of this text says. 
And then he says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of this age. Where is he? Can I tell you? He's here. He's here. He's in our midst. He's resident within our own hearts and our lives as we open our hearts up to him. He's there in the midst of the struggle of your life, when you're in the, and when the tough time, even when you're doubting, when you're standing peering in the tomb, and even though you, you, you can't understand everything that's going on there, but your heart is being drawn to that moment, he's there. He's there. I will never leave you. I'm with you. To the end of this age. So for you to go and tell. You're not by yourself. I'm here. For you to walk through. Rough times in life. You're not by yourself. He says I'm here. For. For those moments of doubt. In him. Hey I'm here. For those moments. When you are railing against God. Because. Things have not happened the way you thought they would happen in life. Can I tell you where he is? He's there. For the moment that you find yourself in sin and you find yourself messing up again in life. It's not like he looks at you and he goes, Whew, I don't want to touch that. He's there. He's here. He's with you. You see... The resurrection says to you and I that he no longer holds those sins against us. That we're forgiven, justified as if we've never sinned before. When we come into relationship with him, ah, that's what the resurrection means. For those of you that are not in relationship with God today and you're not walking with Christ, you've not come to that salvation experience with the Lord, then what the resurrection means to you is it means it's opening your heart It's opening your heart to the possibility of who he is today. And that he did all of this for you. Because he desires more than your mind. He desires your heart. So whether you are at church at home, sitting on your sofa or on the back porch on this beautiful sunny day. He's with you. He's with you today. He's with us. So for a moment, would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a way to cut out all distractions around you? For those of you that are joining us from church at home, would you do the same and just close out all the distractions for a moment? And let's pray together. Father, your word has brought us to this point. Your Holy Spirit has opened our hearts to the truth of the resurrection. So, Father, here we are to make a decision. God, that we know the resurrection. Father, we know those things that we've been taught for years in our life, but we're really struggling and living in the light of the resurrection, that our our sins are truly not held against us any longer. So we're living under a cloud of guilt and not love. We're living under this cloud of condemnation and not freedom. So God, as we open our hearts to the resurrection today, become more real in our life than ever before. Ever before, Lord. 
And for Father, and Father, for those of your children that are here this morning who don't know you, they're not walking in a relationship with you. They've not come to that salvic understanding of who you are. I pray that their heart would be softened by this powerful story of your love and mercy and grace for us who are all sinners in this room, every one of us. And that you would speak to them right now powerfully. So with all of your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment of just solitude. I want to speak to those here today who who have not accepted Christ in a relationship. And you've not come to that understanding of him being the savior of your life. You're struggling. You're searching. You're here searching for something within in your heart and your life. And, and here's the thing. You know there's a need in your heart. That's the door. That's the door for you today. God calls you. You don't choose him. God chooses you. He calls you through that open door of your heart today. And it's through need. You understand that you can't fix yourself. You tried and it's broken. And and you can't make it right anymore. You've made a mess of things. But he's here. He's here for you this morning. So what I say to you this morning is this. Take this step of faith in your life. Yeah, it's faith. Take this step for you. For his forgiveness is for all of your sins today as it is for all of mine. So as you sit there, just pray this prayer along with me. Father, I recognize my need for you in my life. God, I realize that I cannot fix myself, that I'm broken and I'm sinful. So forgive me of my sins today. I accept your forgiveness. Not because I deserve it. But because you love me. Today I'm forgiven. And today I confess in my heart. And I'm believing and speaking with my mouth that I am saved. That I'm not perfect. But God, I've taken a step towards you today. And God, all I ask you to do is meet me. Meet me here at this moment of my life. Because I need something. More than myself. And more than anything I've ever found in this life. So thank you, Father that you have rescued me today. And the resurrection has changed everything about me. And I give you thanks. In your name, amen. Would you stand with us, please? If you made that step today, that next step toward God, then I invite you to go to our website at hopeandanderson.com and I invite you to go there and there is a, a category there called next steps and it will guide you through some processes for your life to go and click on that but do something I think is what's really important 
And that's it. We're going to have some staff members and pastors down here at the front as you leave. That you come and you speak to one of them. And you tell them what God has done in your life. Because remember, it's not just our story. It's a story to tell. It's a story to tell. And then allow us as a church to help you walk through those next steps of knowing Christ.